It's called the black man is God. It's called the black man is God. Next album. This is for the children. You know what I'm saying? I got this idea from myself, of course. But this is for the children. I got this prediction. This will be the biggest upset in all of fighting history. The easiest fight of my life. You think your cousin can with me? You really do? Anybody on your watch? Anybody in my family? Young, he's handsome. They know it. He's a poet, a prophet. Gold ain't have a daddy. And we are back in the wee hours of February 4th. 2024 It is late on a Sunday night Exactly one week from today We will know Who are The NFL champions Of the 2023-24 season As you may have heard It will either be the Kansas City Chiefs Or the San Francisco 49ers I'm here to break down that game for you And it's my pleasure to be back we just keep showing up. Ain't that what Jay-Z just said at the Grammys? When he won the Dr. Dre Impact Award. He says you gotta keep showing up. There's power in just showing up. We've been showing up at this podcast for 10 years now. We've now recorded episodes in 2013, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23... And now 2024. And so I am personally thrilled to be here. I mean, you know, time is fleeting in this season of life, but we make accommodations for the important stuff. We've been through three rounds of NFL playoffs, some ups, some downs, some heartbreaking disappointments for my Cleveland Browns. Maybe I'll start there. I don't know, but... I, I, maybe I won't start there. Maybe I, I'm just going to try to stay upbeat and positive through, <laughs> for this podcast. I don't know if it's going to do me any favors. By the way, my name is Jay Hicks. Thank you for joining us if you're new. Uh, this is the preseason podcast of the year. Again, Hove said you keep showing up and then you get your flowers and you get your accolades and you get all the stuff that people say about you that you should deserve well guess what we deserve to be known as the preseason podcast of the year and that's what we are here at the hip-hop sports support podcast uh we're everywhere podcasts can be found we're on spotify we're on apple Podcasts. we're you know everywhere we're everywhere man as long as you have headphones we're there so wherever you listen to this thank you and find us and like and subscribe to the podcast and rate us and only if it's a good rating of course if it's a negative rating you can go kick rocks with no socks we don't need you but if you got good ratings go ahead and bring them in you know what i'm saying um yeah man super bowl time uh who doesn't like the super bowl lamos don't like the super bowl and I have a lot of thoughts. Uh, this is actually a fascinating game, I feel like. A fascinating game with a fascinating uh, fi- fascinating storylines and subplots and, and just weird stuff about this particular matchup between the Niners and Chiefs. We saw this matchup play out four years ago, five years ago. Um, you know, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But yeah, I, I just, this is a different deal, this game. And we're going to get into it, man. So, shouts to all y'all for listening and coming through and supporting us after all these years, man. 
And now we're back in 2024, the first podcast of this new year. We did make it our point, as we do every January, to hit you with some playoff preview pieces. And now it's the podcast uh, to to accentuate it, to put the bow on it ahead of the big game on Sunday. I guess you some places say you can't say Super Bowl. If it's an advertisement, you're not allowed to say Super Bowl. So the big game is what they call it, right? We're here to talk about it. I guess I'll reflect real quick on the Grammys. I mean, I don't, you know, award shows. Yeah. <laughs> award, yeah. Like, who really likes award shows? Who gets fired up for award shows? I guess people do host Oscar parties. I don't know of anybody that's ever hosted a Grammys party. And as I sat there with my lovely wife watching the Grammys... No, we couldn't help but have that conversation again about how the Grammys kind of suck. And then that's what Jay was talking about when he got on the on the dais or whatever. Like, he's kind of like, yeah, y'all kind of trash, though. Like, thank you for this award, but y'all have historically been kind of whack, though. Just so you know. <laughs> and he's not wrong, you know. I mean, we've seen hip-hop get disrespected over the years. We've seen uh, them have to fight for airtime. They didn't even broadcast the hip-hop uh, rap, album award, rap album of the year award this evening. Uh, they gave it to Killer Mike. Killer Mike won three Grammys, well deserved. Um, Michael was a great record, you know, it was, a, it was a dope album. He deserved to win, but he gets arrested and carried out in, in bracelets from the Staples Center or whatever. Like I'm like, what is going on right now? I'm not even sure what he got arrested for yet, but I'm sure that'll come out in the in the coming days. But just a weird scene, man. Hip hop, it's always something weird with hip hop at these award shows, and you know they let him. It win certain you know categories but then you know the bigger categories that encompasses people beyond just rap music they don't they don't never give rap that kind of shine and we've talked about this years ago you can go back in the annals back in some of the the early days of the hip-hop sports Report podcast the the audio quality may have been lacking but the content was still polished you know what i'm saying and so go back and check it out if you get a chance where we talked to a dude named fahrenheit who came on and and uh, gave us a whole rundown of how the process, how the voting process works. I don't know if the voting process is still like that. That was a long time ago. But it's still flawed. And I think we generally know that. Again, notwithstanding, Killer Mike definitely deserved to win the award. Um, I saw Travis Scott's performance. Uh, he doesn't really move me, so I don't, I don't really care about it. Uh, I love Jay-Z's speech. Um, basically I'm getting old is what this means. Your boy did just have a birthday within the last couple of weeks. The odometer turned over once again. I am staring a milestone birthday in the face next year. And, uh, I mean, I'm happy to be six feet above ground and six feet below it, but I guess there is something to be said that music is for young people because when you see some of these artists and like, it's like Ice Spice at the Grammy Awards and I'm like... Why though? You know what I'm saying? Like, like why? Like somebody let me in on the secret. Like I'm not, I don't see it with Ice Spice. Like not even physically. Like I'm not seeing what the whole hype is about. Um, there's a lot of that kind of stuff. You know what I'm saying? But you know, shouts to Travis Scott that he got to perform. He got his airtime. You know what I'm saying? Burner Boy was out there doing this thing uh, with Brandy and, and Twenty One Savage. I mean, look, man. I think what's far more impactful was that. Uh, uh, you know, and I apologize for right now for, off the top of my head. I, I don't recall the outlet, but J. Cole was was named the rapper of the year in 2023 or for 2023. So that that actually 
was announced a couple of weeks ago, again, by some outlet that Father Time is catching up with me because I can't remember. But it kind of harkens back to what we talked about on the podcast. I think it was in November where it was like, is J. Cole now asserting himself as the dominant MC in the game without an album? And his album known as The Fall Off is still coming. And the anticipation is probably higher for this album, arguably, than any other J. Cole album. He, he better bring it. He better bring it this time because there are some people out there that are still of the belief that he's boring, that his albums are good but not great. Um, I feel more excited to hear a J. Cole feature than anybody else in hip-hop right now. The only other rapper that I think is even on that level from a feature standpoint right now today is Lil Wayne. Like, there's nobody else that I'm more excited to hear on a feature than J. Cole at this exact moment. And can he replicate that in an album format? Is he going to dominate the production like he's historically done in the past, in the, more so in his early days? You know, is he gonna is he gonna bring in some high profile producers? I don't know what angle he's gonna take with it. You know, I'm anxious to see, but it just kind of again has me thinking. Like, I guess he kind of has taken over the top spot without an album. Pretty remarkable because I can't recall too many times where I've ever remembered somebody kind of having being able to stake the claim as the best rapper alive or whatever. Um, however you want to constitute it like i've never heard of that or recall hearing of that for somebody who doesn't have an album out and so we'll see we'll see how that goes um i mean again like he wasn't even at the grammys as far as i know he definitely wasn't nominated for any awards but he probably had a better year than any other mc going right so you know it's weird you know hip-hop's a weird thing sometimes but we'll look forward to it um i think that's well deserved though that j cole is recognized in that way I mean, again, nobody else is doing it. Like nobody else is doing these features like him right now. So we'll see if he can replicate that in the album format. All right, that's enough of that. Um, let's get to the to the football. I mean, because again, Super Bowl Sunday is a week away, and um, it was weird because my son, my oldest son, started playing basketball. I got to tell you, there is nothing quite like being a sports parent. I've never really dealt with it for real before, like seeing your child in actual competition. And now I'm seeing it for the first time these last few weeks. And it is, I mean, like he played, my son, he did play soccer. I should take that back. He, my son and daughter played soccer. I don't think they kept scoring my daughter's games, but my son did play soccer about a year and a half ago or something like that. But this is different. It's a little different because it's basketball. It's something that I'm a little more passionate about. And so watching him play basketball has been a, a, a joy because he doesn't really have any formal training or, or skills or anything like that outside of what I've basically taught him screwing around in the basement kind of thing. And I go out there and he's good. Like he's pretty good. Like he's, he's had games where he's made a a lot of buckets and he's had a lot of games where he's done a lot of other little things besides scoring that positively impact the game. You know, like he's getting open, he's sharing the ball, like, you know, he's, he's getting assists, stuff like that. And so it's just really cool to watch your child play. Um, my son, didn't, his games are on Sundays. He did not have a game today, though, which was brutal because it's the week before the Super Bowl. And this weekend is like unequivocally the worst weekend of the year because there's so much anticipation for the Super Bowl. And you're just kind of stuck at home like, all right, so what do we do now? Right. And I was like looking forward to the fact that my son was going to have a game on Sunday. And then I look at the schedule and it's like bye week. And I'm like, oh. heart sank. But. 
He's got a game next week, which is actually kind of good, too, because his game is at 3 o'clock, which means I don't have to sit through any of the preamble or any of that, the pregame stuff. All that stuff is trash. Like, if you watch that stuff, God bless you, but I could never watch that unless the Browns was in it because that that pregame stuff is just the worst, and it just makes the afternoon just drag on and on. It's like, start the game, you know what I'm saying? So this way, I have an excuse to not watch that stuff. I get to watch my son hoop, and then I'll come straight home, and it'll be kickoff. So... Um, the 49ers are two and a half point favorites. Let's make a note of that. I'm going to come right back to that. We're going to start by going through, you know, your boys record, uh, overall and this year. So right now, as it stands in the history of this illustrious website known as hip hop, sports report.com, your boy, Jay Hicks, 34 and 22 in the wild card round. That's a shade under 61%. I'm just a breathtaking 35 and 13 in the divisional round. That's a shade under 73% of the time I'm money in the bank when it comes to picking games in a divisional round. 12 and 12 in the conference championship. There's some work to be done there, but we all right. 7 and 4 in Super Bowls to this point. That's a 636 win percentage for a grand total. 88 and 51. 633 win percentage for your boy. Okay. I should have a, I should have a casino with my name on it at this point. Okay. I don't know why I don't, but I can think of a few reasons, but be that as it may, 88 and 51 is not too shabby, right? That means that'll keep y'all coming back and listen to me. Cause I might know a little bit about what I'm talking about in these playoffs alone. I'm eight and four overall and eight and four against the spread. I was one and one last week. Well, which is interesting was that I was actually the opposite, right? Like, so I picked the 49ers and the Ravens to win last week, but I picked the Lions to cover and the Chiefs to cover. So, like, I got that right, but I got the the games flipped, but whatever. This is a unique situation, though, with the betting. And I'll explain that. Here's kind of my initial hot take going into this game. Chiefs and 49ers. Right, are y'all ready for this? Here it is. I'm not so sure either of these teams are that good. Are they that good? I mean, they they they're clearly have earned the right to be considered two of the three best teams this year, I would say, along with the Ravens. But are we sure these teams are that good? Because this is and I gotta give props to friend of show, my cousin Vinny, Vince Hicks, who I believe it was when the 49ers kicked the crap out of the, or, or excuse me, the Ravens kicked the crap out of the 49ers. It was that night that Vince was on a text thread with us and was like, yeah, man, all these, these teams aren't that good. And I was kind of like, mm, you know, Vince, you hate everybody. Okay. <laughs> Cause he does. He hates everybody. He hates, he hates almost all things and all people, but, <laughs> but uh, I shouldn't say that. I don't mean that, but he's hard to impress. I will say that about Vince and friend of show, his brother, my cousin, Mark Hicks uh, of Mark draft fame, those guys hard to impress. Okay. And we were just in the text chain and he's just like, yeah, man, like I, I don't think that good. And I'm like, well, if these teams ain't good, then I don't know who is because these are clearly like two of the best teams in the league. And I feel like they've earned it to this point. And then he kind of cleared it up a little bit. He was like, well, 
I mean, like relative to the competition, yes, they're they're good. But like, just in the grander sense of understanding what a good football team looks like, I'm not impressed by either of these teams. Vince is still not impressed by the 49ers. I can tell you that right now. But I'm kind of with them now. Like, you look at what the Niners have done these last two games. The Packers and Lions, like, the Lions have negative experience at that stage. I mean, they haven't been there in 30 years. And the Packers have literally one of the youngest teams to make the playoffs in NFL history. And so when you factor those things in, it's like, why are you struggling to beat these young, inexperienced teams at home? Like, why are you requiring some type of Herculean comeback down the stretch for what? Like, that doesn't, it doesn't add up. You're supposed to be the, the, the 49ers. Like, you're supposed to be putting dudes in headlocks and giving them nuggies. You know what I'm saying? Like, what, what is going on? And then you look at the Chiefs. And, I mean, now this is a position that I've had on the podcast dating back to earlier this year. If you recall, I said, and I quote, if Travis Kelsey gets hurt, they're done. That was my exact quote. And mind you, this was at a time when Travis Kelsey didn't look all that great on the field. Off the field, evidently, he looks amazing because every white man in America is trying to get the Travis Kelsey haircut, right? The Travis Kelsey haircut. Y'all seen that? Hilarious. It's a fade. Hilarious. Like y'all ain't never seen a black man with a fresh cut before. Give me a break. It's funny, but Kelsey, you know, he had a less than Kelsey-like season statistically. And even on the eye test, he just didn't quite look himself. And then he's even talking about, uh, I might hang it up after this year. I've had a zillion surgeries. I'm, I'm dating a, a rock star. Like, all of this stuff didn't lend you to believe that Kansas City was going to have the Travis Kelsey they needed in order to advance deep into the playoffs. And then you look at the Chiefs games. I mean, how much of a gift from the heavens can you get if you're in Kansas City playing in sub-zero temperatures and you have to face a team from Miami, Florida? It don't get much better than that. I mean, a high school team from Cleveland could have defeated the Miami Dolphins in those conditions, okay? So that was a layup of a first-round matchup, and it was at home. Then they go on the road. They play Buffalo. Buffalo does a lot of beating up on Buffalo. <laughs> like, why was Buffalo beating Buffalo so badly? I'm not sure. And then it was the same thing in the in the AFC Championship game. It's Baltimore beating Baltimore a whole lot. Like, it was hot knife through butter on those first two drives with the Chiefs offense against the Ravens defense. And after that, the game looked a lot different, but it was already in Baltimore's head at that point. The mystique was already driving them crazy from the inside out. They got out of character, got out of sorts, and they couldn't get they couldn't get it together. And so you're left looking at it and it's just like everybody's praising Kansas City and it's like, but are they really that good? I don't know. We'll explore a little bit. But getting back to uh, from a gambling perspective real quick or just from a, you know, a betting lines perspective and all that. So it seems like you know, the Chiefs and the 49ers are pretty evenly matched. 
But this is to me, this is a totally unique betting situation. All right. Now, bear in mind, the Niners are two and a half point favorites going into this game in Vegas. I mean, the game is in Vegas. I'm t- they're two and a half point favorites in most places, but they're two and a half point favorites on, on FanDuel and other places. But I mean, like the game is in Vegas, y'all. Okay. So underdogs have covered the last three consecutive Super Bowls. That would be Kansas City in this case. Since 2000, underdogs have covered 15 times. Favorites have only covered seven times with two pushes. So it seems like this is a nice setup for the underdogs. But there's only one problem, y'all. Tell me this. Who was the underdog? Who was the underdog? According to the line, it's the Chiefs. I have not seen one person definitively get on television or radio or on a podcast and say unequivocally, the San Francisco 49ers are the better team. The 49ers will hoist the Lombardi Trophy next Sunday night. I haven't heard it. Have y'all heard it? Because I haven't heard it. And I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. This week, pay attention to what you hear this week. You ain't going to hear nobody picking the 49ers. I mean, like, you might hear a couple people here and there, but everybody is so gassed up on the Mahomes hype train, the Patrick Mahomes hype train right now, that Everybody's going to be terrified to bet against them. Everybody's going to be terrified to pick against them. So I'm just steadily trying to figure out where, it, like, who was who was picking San Francisco. I I just don't get it. It doesn't even make sense. Even if you look on FanDuel, seventy percent of the bets there are on Kansas City. Seventy six percent of the money that's coming is coming in on Kansas City. So the media seems to be favoring Kansas City. The betting public seems to be favoring Kansas City. Yet somehow the line is San Francisco minus two and a half. Now, granted, San Francisco has a big fan base, bigger than the Chiefs. It's a bigger city. They've had more success for longer than Kansas City has historically. And so I I assume it's just a lot of 49ers fans. But if you look at the numbers... The numbers will suggest that they're not betting on Brock Purdy in them. Purdman. They're not betting on them. And so I just don't it just doesn't make sense to me how they're favored at all, San Francisco. Even if you look at it from this standpoint, who has the better coach? The guy who's been to what is it now? Four Super Bowls in the last six years, plus one with Philadelphia, who goes to the playoffs literally every single year despite who his quarterback is, or the guy who's known for blowing big leads and being questionable in big games. I would give the advantage to Kansas City with the head coach. I would give the advantage to Kansas City at quarterback. I would give the advantage to Kansas City on defense. Right? I mean, and so so where's the advantage for San Francisco? I mean, you could say they have a better offensive line than the Chiefs' offensive line, but is San Francisco's offensive line better than the Chiefs' defensive line or defensive front? I don't know about that. And when you think about the most important elements of a championship-level team, 
Give me the coach. Give me the quarterback. Give me the defense. I feel like that's Kansas City. Check, check, check. I mean, look how dominant the Chiefs' defense has been in this postseason. They've been they were very good against uh, the Bills. Uh, the, I'm not. We're not going to talk about the Dolphins game because I already mentioned that. But they were good against the Bills, and they were great against the Ravens. And they've been solid all year long. And you know, Steve Spagnuolo can dial up the pressure, bring the pressure from from places when quarterbacks don't even know which way it's coming from. You know what I mean? And so, if all those advantages are in Kansas City's favor, why are the 49ers favored? I mean, I would agree that the collection of weaponry and pass catchers and rushers in in San Francisco's locker room is better than the ones in Kansas City's locker room. But you could also make the case that Travis Kelsey is a better pass catcher than anybody on San Francisco. Better than George Kittle, better than Debo, better than McCaffrey, better than Ayuk, better than Juwan Jennings, who's underrated, better than, you know, all those dudes. And so, if you're telling me that Kansas City's got the coach, quarterback, the best pass catcher, and the best defense, and more experience, and they can play off the fact that they're the quote-unquote underdog, I don't see how they are the underdog. Like, Kansas City should be favored by three, in my estimation, at least. I could even say four, just based on how the teams have looked this postseason, the mystique with Mahomes, and just the Chiefs in general, and the experience, the coaching, all that stuff I just mentioned. I don't I don't get it. I genuinely do not understand how the 49ers are favored in this game. Let's talk about the Chiefs a little bit more. They are you know, I mean going into this game, like, like let, me, let me backtrack. Going into maybe if you were wanting to maybe the middle part of the season, I would have absolutely told you that the 49ers were the better team than Kansas City. And Kansas City's team has not looked that special for much of the season. But not having the better team, quote-unquote, has not stopped the Chiefs before, right? It didn't stop them against the Ravens last week. It, you could argue that the Bills were a better team, although the Bills are pretty banged up on defense. But you could argue the better, the better team was in Buffalo on paper. Didn't happen to matter in that game. Didn't matter last year when the Chiefs beat the Eagles, as we correctly predicted on this podcast. We told y'all last year, Philly has the better team, but we're picking Kansas City to win. That's what we told y'all. And Philly was favored. And Kansas City pulled the upset. We've mentioned on Twitter several times in the last couple of years how Kansas City has this knack for pulling out these tight games at the end. And... They've just kind of cracked the code, or so it seems. They've just kind of figured out, more often than not, how to pull these games out at the end, even if they shouldn't, even if they appear to be the worst team on paper, even if it feels like they should be at a disadvantage for whatever reason. They find a way. Mahomes finds a way, and those dudes are great over there. And we're going to talk about Mahomes quite a bit in this podcast, so settle in, because i got a lot to say about him. But it's it's... It's the little things. It's the it's how they don't beat themselves. When you watch the Ravens game and watch how they just threw up all over themselves at the mere thought of knocking off Mahomes and Reed and the Chiefs. I mean, it was disgusting. 
it was, I mean, they should have just been sent home from school that day. The way that they just threw up all over the school nurse. That's what the, that's what the Ravens did. In fact, I thought it was fascinating because I don't know if y'all heard this, but Baltimore, and when they talked about it during the broadcast. So the Ravens, they bring out Ray Lewis during the game. They honored like Ed Reed somehow. And like they honored Terrell Suggs. And then they brought out sizzle in the fourth quarter, right before a big defensive series. And actually got a defensive stop after that. And like all this other stuff. And like they had, I don't know the, uh, the mayor of, uh, uh, Baltimore, whatever, they had uh, Snoop and uh, Marlo Stanfield come out, and they were honored at halftime. Like, it was all Baltimore all day. And, like, they they cranked it up because they haven't had an AFC championship home game since, like, 1960-whatever. And there was the Baltimore Colts and all this other stuff. So, like, they threw everything they could emotionally into this game. Everything. And I'll... I like I looked about and, and I used to work in sports, you know, so I have like a little bit of a game operations background. And so I'm just thinking about it from that lens. And I'm just like, you know, that it might be low key brilliant. The fact that they're like pulling out all the stops for this one game, you know, to try to get over the hump against the defending conference champions and the defending Super Bowl champions. And then you watch the game unfold and it's like, you know what? That shit backfired big time because they were just too amped up for that game. Like there was, there was too much energy and too much emotion, and it led to too much pressure. And they just couldn't handle it. They couldn't bottle it. They couldn't, they couldn't control it, and they could not channel it in any kind of way that was effective in the game. At least not in the first half. In the second half, things changed a little bit. But in the first half, it was just Kansas City came right out, pop, pop, hit him in the mouth, and then. You know, you're taking dumb penalties. Cal Van Noy getting suckered in by Travis Kelsey. It was so obvious what Travis Kelsey was trying to do. He just came in late trying to bait Kyle Van Noy, and he took the bait. Like, Kyle Van Noy, you're a Super Bowl champion from New England. Come on, man. You should know better. You know, you got Jadavian Clowney hitting Mahomes in the face. Like, that's a penalty. You know you can't do that, right? And then the most egregious of all, Zay Flowers, who has the excuse of being a rookie. But you see Zay Flowers making a big play. It looked like he should have scored. He doesn't score. He gets tackled at the 10-yard line. He literally shoves the defender back onto the ground, spins the football, and stands over him flexing his muscles. And it's like, I hate the, the taunting calls as much as anybody. But that is the textbook definition of a taunting call. Like, you can't tell me... Shawn Michaels and Degeneration X couldn't taunt worse than that. Like, that was egregious. And it's like, you know you're going to get flagged for that. And what happens? They end up not scoring on that drive. Zay Flowers fumbled with the ball in the end zone. And the Chiefs get the ball back. And so, I, it was just, it was just, it was, it was wild. It was baffling to see the Ravens, how piss poor they performed in that game they looked like they were just not ready for the moment at all and on the flip side you had kansas city completely buttoned up not making any mistakes and in fact they're like like i mentioned about kelsey they're actually going as far as baiting the other team into mistakes like i think mahomes does that from time to time where he's either i think mahomes is he's not the best scrambling quarterback i've ever seen but i think he might be the smartest 
quarterback at scrambling we've ever seen because rarely does he take a big hit. He, he typically gets out of bounds. He typically knows where the sticks are, gets where he wants to go. But then also, I think he does the thing where he kind of, you know, knows that they can't hit him and he kind of takes advantage of it. And so when he thinks he's about to get hit, he'll tiptoe and he'll, you know, dance and get a couple extra yards or he'll stay in bounds like that run he had against Tennessee in the playoffs a few years ago. That run was overrated. You know what I'm saying? In terms of like it's quote unquote greatness or whatever. But I don't think Tennessee was, they were like afraid to hit him. Like they should have just stuck his ass, but they didn't do it. And so Mahomes just runs up the sideline and gets in the end zone. And he's flexing his muscles. And it's like, how did this happen? You know? And so it's the same thing with, uh, you know, like, like, uh, and so, and Mahomes, he does the, he did the same thing. I felt like at the end of the AFC championship game last year against Cincinnati, where he's scrambling, he's going out of bounds. And I thought he slowed up just enough so that the Cincinnati defender would shove him out of bounds, knowing it would be flagged for a late hit. And then he flopped a little bit at the end. I think it was all, I think he, I think he packaged it all together, man. I really do. And so, and that's, that's not a knock on Mahomes, by the way. That's actually a compliment that he's that intelligent of a scrambler. But you see how Kansas City will bait you if you're not careful. And the Ravens were taking the hook, line, and sinker, man. I mean, it just, it just were. And so they just cracked the code. Like the, the, the Patriots, when they went into Arrowhead and beat them in overtime in the AFC Championship game a few years ago, which is commonly known as the D Ford game, quote unquote, I refer to it as yet another Tom Brady masterpiece. Uh, <laughs> but uh, in that game, we saw the we thought that Mahomes was going to take the torch from Brady, but Brady's like, "Nah, bro, not giving you this torch, son." You know, and then after that, though, since that day. Kansas City has absolutely owned the AFC. And so, and if they win this Super Bowl, they will have owned the NFL because we can legitimately talk dynasty at that point, not fake dynasty like they've been claiming all these years. And so, I, it just it just really feels like Kansas City just has a knack for these games. On the flip side, you have the 49ers, who I mentioned earlier, did not look good against the Packers, didn't look great for half the game against the, Niner, or against the Lions, but... At least you can say about the Lions, well, there's two things you can really say. One is that against the Lions, you know, they were bad in the first half, and then they were an avalanche in the second half. And you you step away, and you're like, whoa, like San Francisco basically beat a good Lions team with one hand tied behind their back. Because they didn't do shit in the first half. So it's kind of like if they if they couldn't crack the scoreboard hardly in the first half, and they're just getting mauled from the word go, and the defense is looking lethargic, I mean... That's not great, but what happened? In the second half, they turned it on, they flipped the script, and they basically did whatever they wanted to do. Now, in fairness, Detroit also is kind of doing the peeing down the leg thing, <laughs> kind of getting a little tight, you know what I'm saying? There was that part of it as well. They're dropping passes. They're making uncharacteristic errors. They're having questionable decisions to go for it on fourth down, which as a quick aside, everybody's getting on Dan Campbell about his decisions. And I've seen a lot of people actually defending Dan Campbell and saying, well, that's who the Lions have always been. That's what they've always been. And that's one of those things where it sounds, it sounds cool to say that, but the flip side of that is, you know, we rip coaches all the time for not adjusting in the game. You know what I'm saying? Like you have to adjust for time and circumstance. You have to adjust for, you know, just the score, you know, who's out there. Are guys hurt? How are guys playing? What's the, 
vibe and the energy of the stadium. You know what I'm saying? There's, what's the weather like? There's, how are the officials calling the game? Like, There's a lot of other factors that go into how you play a game, how you call a game as an offense. So to just blindly go for it on fourth down all the time, and it's like, well, that's what we've always been. That's not good enough, okay? We, we're smarter than that. By that logic, you will never make halftime adjustments if that's who you are. Like, if who you are ain't working, then you need to do something different. Or if who you are is going to jeopardize, you know, your potential of winning this football game, you know, then you need to think about doing something different. Like, so kicking a field goal here or there might not hurt. I thought the one field goal that Detroit did not kick uh, after San Francisco kicked their field goal to start the second half, I thought that was a critical error. Even though it's not a lock that the kicker would have made the kick, I just felt like San Francisco went down, they scored, they got on the board, they got three points. You take that momentum right back, and you kick a field goal right back, and then you, you square it off the second half. Now it's basically 0-0 again in the second half. And San Francisco's accomplished nothing with that first half. And the momentum's gone, and more time has run off the clock. That's the approach I would have taken with that. They chose not to do that. And so I think that there were some mistakes made by the Detroit coaching staff. Um, but, you know, kneecaps were bitten in that game. So I got to give Detroit some love for that. Anyways, getting back to the 49ers, though, I think the other thing that San Francisco did in this postseason was they proved what a lot of people said they could not do. And that was come from behind and win. And this has been the book on Kyle Shanahan for a long time. My cousin Mark Hicks has crushed Kyle Shanahan for saying he's not a good coach in big games. I feel like he's better than most coaches in big games. Um, guys win a lot of playoff games. Guys been to a, a Super Bowl before. This is the second one as a head coach. He also went to the Super Bowl as an offensive coordinator. I think he knows what he's doing. I don't think most coaches have that type of resume. So I think it's got to count for something, right? Uh, they're coming from behind to win these games. And nobody was catching more criticism and flack than Brock Purdy. As you all should know, I've been a Brock Purdy believer for a while. And I have, you know, I, I just feel like, and, and we're going to get into a broader conversation about this, y'all. I just feel like we need some consistency on how we judge these quarterbacks. I understand that Brock Purdy walked into a great team, great situation, great offensive weapons around him, a very good defense, great personnel all over the place, and a coach that has the capacity to make you as a quarterback look good. I recognize all those things. But so does Patrick Mahomes. That's exactly what Patrick Mahomes walked into. And when Mahomes takes that opportunity and runs with it, we hail him as the greatest QB we've ever seen. When Brock Purdy takes the opportunity and runs with it, we're just left questioning him right and left. Even though this season, Purdy has been better statistically all up and down the board than Patrick Mahomes. Not just Mahomes, but like 95% of the quarterbacks in the league. Purdy's been better than them this year. Okay? This is not an accident. He was better than him last year when he came in midway through the season. He was great all last year. He was great in his playoff game against Seattle last year. I'm talking like 350 and three TDs and no turnovers great. Then he gets hurt against Philadelphia. What happens this year? He comes back this year. He's great all season long. He had like maybe two bad games, maybe three, which is fine. That's as every quarterback has three bad games over the course of 17. 
but he was he was balling. He, he was even balling against most of the good teams that they played against. He torched the Dallas Cowboys when the Cowboys defense was riding high. And so I, I, I'm just left wondering why is it that when Purdy does it, is it the is it the draft position? Is it the physique? Because he doesn't look the part. He's not this big strapping dude like in the pocket like Josh Allen making plays. Is that what it is? What is it about Brock Purdy that makes it so difficult for people to give him props? I'm not saying you have to say that he's the best quarterback in football. He's not that. If you want to say he's outside the top five, fine. I'm comfortable with that. If you want to say he would not be as nearly as good in this situation, if you put him, say, in Washington or in Jacksonville or wherever, Fine, I'm not arguing none of that. But I can say the same thing about Mahomes, who is unquestionably looked upon as the best QB in the game. And so, we just need to come up with some consistent guidelines with how we judge these quarterbacks. The the knock on Purdy was, he's a one-read system guy, he can't ad-lib, he can't play from behind. What did he do against Green Bay? What did he do against Detroit? He was down in the second half of both games. Season was on the line against the Packers. He led them down the field, and they took the lead. And then what happened against the Lions? 17-point deficit. I believe that was the largest halftime deficit overcome in the NFC Championship game history, something like that. And they won that one. They won that game going away, and they almost covered. But there was a back backdoor cover by Detroit. But, like, San Francisco was, I mean, they, I mean, Brock Purdy had them humming in the second half. Even though he got lucky on, on that one deep ball to Ayuk. That's fine. Quarterbacks get lucky sometimes. Like, we just choose to hold certain things against certain guys to fit our narratives. And so because Brock Purdy was drafted with the last pick in the draft out of Iowa State, and because he's undersized, he's the undersized little dude that can't grow a mustache, we just don't believe that he can be a leader of men and that he can't be one of the top quarterbacks. No, he is. He is. If he goes out and has a bad game in the Super Bowl, guess what? He's still one of the 10 best quarterbacks in football. Again, I'm not saying he's number one or number two, but you cannot name 10 quarterbacks better than him because before you know it, you're going to be looking at Baker Mayfield's name and guys like that. And I'm taking Brock Purdy all day over Baker Mayfield. You know what I mean? So, you know, he Purdy did everything that he was asked to do. Everything that y'all said he could not do, he did it in these last two weeks. He even did it with Debo Samuel being out against, I believe it was against the Packers. So his best wide receiver was out of the game, and he still led the comeback. So, I mean, I don't know what else the guy has to do. I guess he has to win the Super Bowl. I, I was watching one of the debate shows. And, and, and mind you guys, I get all of the content that I get for sports on here. It comes from two places. It comes from me watching the games and then just giving my take. And then it comes from me reacting to all the nonsensical takes that I see on all these other sports talk shows and podcasts and debate shows that don't know what the hell they're talking about. You know what I mean? I was watching some show the other day and they were like, will Brock Purdy get the respect he deserves if he wins the Super Bowl? Or will he be respected if he wins the Super Bowl? And the answer is, obviously no. 
He's not going to win the Super Bowl and then get the respect he deserves. And then people say, yep, Brock Purdy's a top whatever guy. No. There's going to be a a large swath of media and fans that still aren't going to believe in him and still think he's solely a product of his environment. We know that that's going to happen. We saw it with Brady. Yeah, and you knew that name was going to get evoked on this podcast eventually. We saw that with Tom Brady. He won one Super Bowl, two Super Bowls, three Super Bowls. Guys still didn't believe in him after three Super Bowls, literally. People were still like, nah, flash in the pan, that guy. Let's take away his defense and see what he is. You know, like all this nonsense. Brock Purdy's done everything he can do. Now, the question is, the answer is really, he should be recognized as a top quarterback if he wins the Super Bowl and plays well. But he won't be. And that's just what it is. If I'm the 49ers and I'm trying to win this game, first of all, my defense has looked bad in these two playoff games to the point that I believe it was Kyle Shanahan said that, or maybe it was the defensive coordinator, I think it was Steve Wilkes as the defensive coordinator, said their defense was, quote, unacceptable from the first two games. There's a lot of bad tape that the 49ers got to look at from these last two games. And they escaped, but now they get to stew in that bad tape. And they get to stew on the fact that the Chiefs beat them in this game a couple of years ago. In a game which, by the way, the 49ers were the better team for 52 minutes of 60. Jimmy Garoppolo outplayed Patrick Mahomes for 52 minutes of 60. And even in that game, I'm just a quick sidebar, in that game, Patrick Mahomes should not have even won MVP. They gave him MVP because he's Patrick Mahomes and he's the quarterback. Now, a lot of quarterbacks have benefited from that in the past, so he's not the first. So it's not that shocking, but Damian Williams clearly should have been the MVP. He had over 100 yards rushing, I think, on 17 carries and also had about 30 yards receiving and had a touchdown rushing and receiving. And Mahomes threw two picks in that game and did not look sharp for the majority of the game. And as I've described on this podcast many times, he had the 17-step drop and chucked it up to Tyreek Hill, and that one play flipped the game around. And then there was, a, and then they scored on that drive. Then the next time they got the ball back, there was a, a controversial flag. Uh, I don't even know if it was controversial, but it was a flag that went in Kansas City's favor, like a big pass interference flag. They're right on the doorstep. They score again. We got a new ball game, right? And that's how the comeback was made. It wasn't like Mahomes was meticulously marching them down the field on these uh, on these long touchdown drives when he was throwing darts all over the field. Nah, it wasn't nothing like that. But they gave Mahomes all the credit for it. So if I'm San Francisco, a lot of those guys are still on this team. And so I'm just stewing over that. I'm stewing over the bad tape that we put out against the Lions and the Packers. If I'm, if I'm the 49ers and I want to win this game, can y'all just try to hold Travis Kelsey to like under like 70 yards? Can y'all try that? Like, it seems like y'all should be able to double the guy like quite a bit. I don't know enough about San Francisco's defensive scheme to say off the top of my head, which if they, if they prefer to run a lot of zone versus a lot of man, what I do know is that Travis Kelsey has, well, he's ate up all kinds of defenses his entire career. At this stage of his career, he really eats up zone, right? 
because he may not be quite as fleet of foot as he once was, but he's still smart enough to find the soft the soft spot in coverage. And he still has this kinship mentally with Mahomes to where he doesn't even run where the play says he's supposed to go. He just goes where he wants to go that's open, and he turns around, and Mahomes throws him the football. That's the offense. And so if you run zone, it's way easier to get away with that than if you run a lot of man. I think you got to pressure Mahomes. you got to bring blitzers occasionally, not all night long, but you got to bring the occasional blitz on Mahomes to throw him off. You got to get him on the ground because he doesn't take sacks anymore. And you got to limit Travis Kelsey. Make Rasheed Rice get 150 yards receiving. Make Marquez Valdez Scantling have another big game with, you know, making a big catch. Like, you have to do these things. Make Justin Watson beat you. Jared McKinnon's back off IR. Make him beat you. You have to. Like, this is the only realistic way because Travis Kelsey on his own will beat you. Ask the Ravens. And you, as, a, as a fan, you just sit there and it's like, you know, I don't know as much about football as the guy's coaching, but for the life of me, I just can't, I, I just cannot understand how you let Travis Kelsey get open every time. He was open on third downs and Mahomes wasn't even finding them. And he was still getting open on third downs. Like every big third down in the first half, Kelsey had a catch for it. And he was just making plays all night. And, well, at least in the first half. And it's just like, yo, have y'all not heard of Travis Kelsey? He's dating a really famous person. Like, I don't know if y'all know this. You should know who he is and what his number is. If Kelsey can't get off and have a big game, the Chiefs ain't going to win. It's that simple. Because Mahomes doesn't have enough faith in anybody to throw the ball deep. And the Chiefs have to play from in front. And then they got to work Pacheco into the offense as a running back, as a rusher. Because... If if the Chiefs are playing from behind, it chances are they're not going to be able to run this meticulous offense that they've been running for, I don't know, all season, where they're inching their way down the field. If they're trailing, then they can't really run that offense because they're short on time, which means they're going to be forced to run plays that send guys deeper down the field, in which case they're more susceptible to Mahomes throwing into tight coverage with poor receivers and there's a greater likelihood that Mahomes is going to get sacked or have to take a sack or he's just going to be scrambling around creating pressure for himself which he does a lot and so it's imperative that San Francisco gets an early lead because if you force the Chiefs to play from behind they played from behind with Tyreek Hill and Sammy Watkins and they beat you off a few years ago make this iteration of the Chiefs team play from behind and see what they do I don't think they'll be able to mount a huge comeback in a short amount of time, even with Mahomes back there working his magic. I don't think it's going to happen. So just try that. In Kansas City, it's obviously it's the inverse. You got to get an early lead. You got to run the ball with Pacheco quite a bit. By the way, San Francisco might make some sense to run the ball with Christian McCaffrey quite a bit. Might not hurt. I mean, ordinarily, I'm almost always of the belief that if you win the coin toss, you take the foot or you defer and you give the football to the opponent and let them get on the field first with their offense. And then you take the ball in the second half. I almost always feel that way. In this case, it might make some sense for San Francisco to get the ball first if they win the coin toss. And you score, you run the ball McCaffrey a lot, 
which is the weak part of the Chiefs defense, and then you set the tone. Okay? Because if you have to throw with Purdy in a position where Kansas City knows you have to throw and Spags can dial up these defenses, these, these blitzes, right? And then now you're throwing at their strength, which is these corners, Legereus Sneed and, and Trent McDuffie, very good defensive backs. Now you're forcing Purdy to throw at those guys when Kansas City knows you have to throw. That's a bad recipe for the 49ers. They need to run the ball with McCaffrey a lot. I would even work some Elijah Mitchell in there, and they need to get an early lead. Or Debo. If Debo's right, run up with Debo. And they need to get an early lead. We know, just like I said a minute ago, we know Patrick Mahomes is going to win Super Bowl MVP no matter what. I'm not convinced that he won't win Super Bowl MVP even if <laughs> the Chiefs lose the game. Because all we've heard after he got killed by Tampa Bay a few years ago and threw two picks in that game, is how that was an amazing Mahomes game because of all the wondrous, incomplete passes he threw. That's all we've heard for three years. Mahomes was legendary that game because he threw some remarkable incompletions. (laughs) That's literally how people feel about him. And so he's going to get MVP no matter what. The way that people view the Chiefs is is kind of bizarre at this point. We've actually gotten to that point, but I'll tell you this. Here's my pick. I've gone back and forth on this quite a bit because the Chiefs are air quote underdogs and the Chiefs have the better defense. The Chiefs have the better quarterback, the better coach, and more experience, and they, they just figure out ways to win. And so if you look at the last couple of weeks of both teams, it, does, it doesn't make sense how anybody could pick San Francisco, except for the fact that San Francisco is very worthy. And they've, again, they've, they've, they've got the motivation of having played not their best football of late. Whereas right now, everybody's telling Kansas City that they're amazing. And... I've gone back and forth on it, but it looks like Kansas City is a shoe in the win. And that's why I'm going to pick the 49ers. And it, it's not, you know, I picked Kansas City to beat Buffalo. I didn't think they'd beat Baltimore, but I thought they would cover. And I'm not sure, I'm not shocked at all if they beat Baltimore. So I would not be shocked at all if they beat San Francisco in the Super Bowl. But this is coming off like a coronation. For Kansas City. And I believe all this week, you will hear media people treat this like a coronation for Kansas City. And we know how that goes. Usually, it does not end well for the team getting crowned. It doesn't. We saw it with the greatest show on turf Rams against the Patriots. We saw it with the undefeated Patriots against the Giants. We saw it. We've seen it lots of times. We saw it with the Chiefs a couple of years ago against Tampa Bay. Right? I mean, the Chiefs were three-point favorites in that game, but every, just about every uh, quote-unquote expert that I saw was picking the Chiefs to win the game. And, of course, after the fact, three years later, the revisionist history, oh, well, Mahomes didn't have an offensive line. Da, da, da. That didn't stop them from being the betting favorite, and it didn't stop anybody from picking them that day. And they got their ass kicked. Okay? This is not a knock on Kansas City. This is not a knock on Mahomes or Andy Reid or anybody like that. 
But I do feel like this is coming off like a coronation of sorts for the Chiefs. And I just feel like we've seen this a lot. I said it in my last piece in the conference championship. I said, we've seen this movie before. And I just thought it was going to catch up with Kansas City last week. And it didn't. Props to them for that. But now it's coming off even more like a coronation for Kansas City. Are they the greatest ever? Is Reed the greatest coach? Is Mahomes the greatest quarterback? Is this the greatest dynasty? This, this, this. How many more years are they going to keep it going? All this stuff. And I gotta, I just got to go the other way. All the money's coming in on Kansas City. All it doesn't, it just doesn't, the line doesn't make sense. Something seems off about the line. I'm going to pick Kansas City to cover. Because if you're getting points with Mahomes and you're betting your money, you got to take Mahomes in the points. I, I'll say that. And, and it, which is, that was my logic last week. I'll, I'll say it again this week. But for my pick, I'm picking the San Francisco 49ers, the team that I have from afar admired for many years on this website and podcast. And I felt like they were due to win a Super Bowl one of these years. Uh, last year, they had a good shot. Their quarterback got hurt in the conference championship game. It fell apart. This year, they have all their guys. I mean, 1 through 53, they might have a better team. But this everything looks like it should fall in Kansas City's favor. And we've seen it. Many times where that doesn't actually bear itself out on the field. The line is just so vexing, though. That's the only thing that's weirding me out is the line itself. But I'll also add this. One other last thing. Now, I know I'm kind of all over the place with the prediction. The important thing that you need to know is that I'm, I'm picking San Francisco to win the game. There's a world in which San Francisco kills Kansas City. I'm not betting it. I'm not predicting it necessarily. I'm just saying I would not be stunned if that happened. Because, again, you got this coronation thing going. Everybody's crowned the Chiefs already. The 49ers have not played their best football of late. They have, you know, whereas Kansas City did play their best football of late. Kansas City is an unbelievably flawed team. But they've looked good the last few weeks. And San Francisco still has the bitter taste in their mouth of having lost to these dudes a few years ago. Taylor Swift just won the Grammy for album of the year. Everything's coming up Kansas City. It's a little too convenient, right? Like, Taylor Swift is new to football. She needs to suffer some football heartbreak here, (laughs) right? Maybe she's the golden child and everything she touches turns to gold. But the Chiefs were already gold before she got there. I just know that if you like football, chances are your team has broken your heart many times. And so she needs to experience that, I feel like. I don't know. I think there's a, there's a non-zero chance that the 49ers just roll over the Chiefs. Don't be shocked. Don't be totally caught off guard if that happens. The last thing I want to add, you know, just about the quarterback talk, right? And, I, and I'll, end with, I'll, I'll end on this note. So you guys know that I'm 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 all I'm a huge Tom Brady supporter. I don't I don't think that that's breaking news to anybody who's ever listened to this podcast or the show. And so, therefore, I feel it necessary to protect his legacy when I see it getting disrespected in the media. And again, I said I get my content from what I see on the field, and then I get my content from what I hear on social media and from what I hear on these TV shows, podcasts, radio shows, whatever. When I hear people talking out the side of their neck about the greatest professional athlete in the history of American professional team sport. Like it just, it's crazy to me, the disrespect 
that Tom Brady gets. And we're seeing it again. They didn't believe in Brady when he was going head to head with Peyton Manning 20 years ago, 50, you know, 15 years ago, whatever it was. They didn't believe in Brady then, even though Brady was doing all the winning and Manning was racking up all the numbers. They didn't believe in Brady then. Then it was, it was after Manning it was Rodgers. It was all Aaron Rodgers. It was like, oh, Aaron Rodgers won a Super Bowl in his first, second year as a starter. And then how many Super Bowls are the Packers going to rip off? Oh, boy, here comes Aaron Rodgers. He's the prettiest thrower, the most talented. Zero. The answer is zero Super Bowls from Aaron Rodgers after that. In fact, Brady went to the NFC and kicked his ass. That's what happened. Okay. Then it became Patrick Mahomes. Oh, Mahomes this, Mahomes that. You know, Mahomes is the next guy. He's the first year as a starter. 50 touchdowns, MVP. Oh, Brady Brady beat him and was better than him in the conference championship game. That that happened. And then Brady goes to the NFC. Oh, it's Mahomes' time now. He's going to take the mantle from Brady at the Super Bowl. No, actually, Tom Brady kicked his ass again. You know what I'm saying? They keep trying to give other quarterbacks the crown on Brady's watch. And Brady smoked all these dudes. He did it to he did it to Manning. He did it to Rodgers. He did it to Mahomes. He even did it to Drew Brees. There was I remember there was some Drew Brees buzz. People were saying actually Drew Brees is better than no, no he's not. He played his whole career in a dome. He never did enough winning. No he's not. Knock it off. But they just love to disrespect the guy from San Mateo, California, and I don't quite understand it totally. Other than the fact that Brady beat everybody's favorite team for 20 years and people don't know how to handle it. So they just try to knock him down or they try to prop somebody else up. And I feel like that's what we're seeing with Patrick Mahomes. They love to say that wins are not a quarterback stat. How many times have you heard people say that in uh, in rebuttal to Tom Brady? The fallacy with the Tom Brady support, not just for myself, but from others, is that people believe that people only believe Brady is the GOAT because of the championships. Tom Brady is not the GOAT because he won seven championships. Tom Brady won seven championships because he's the GOAT. You see the difference? They say wins are not a quarterback stat. Even a friend of the show, Anthony Houston, has told me wins are not a quarterback stat. They only say that when they talk about Tom Brady's accomplishments. They don't say that. I've never heard anybody say that about Terry Bradshaw, Joe Montana. You know, Peyton Manning's got two rings. Never heard it about him. I never heard that about Mahomes. They never say wins are a quarterback stat. But what's funny is that after every win that Patrick Mahomes gets, especially in these playoffs, the the accolades and the, the genuflecting and just the the over-the-top hyperbolic praise for Mahomes for even doing just the minimum offensively. I just can't understand it. They just gush over Mahomes, even when his stats are average. I heard Colin Cowherd get on the air this past week talking to Nick Wright, who is a Kansas City native, and, you know, I, I like those guys. I like Colin. I like Nick for a lot of different reasons, but... I literally heard, literally heard Colin Cowherd say, well, Mahomes has had, he casually says, well, Mahomes has had 12 out of 12 great quarters in these playoffs. That's what he said. He said Mahomes has been great. He's been, he's played 12 quarters and he's been great for 12 quarters. That's what Cowherd said. And Nick Wright just went along with it because, you know, that's his boy. 
Mahomes is, that is. Let me read to you what Mahomes did in the second half against Baltimore. This is in the second half of a conference championship game. In the third quarter, first drive, Kansas City goes three plays, seven yards, punt. Next drive, eight plays, 23 yards, punt. Third drive, three plays, four yards, punt. For a grand total of 14 plays, 34 yards, zero points, and three punts in the third quarter against Baltimore. In the fourth quarter against Baltimore, seven plays, first drive, seven plays, 32 yards, punt. Second drive, three plays, seven yards, punt. Third drive, six plays, 50 yards, and they run the clock out and end the game. Mahomes hit a big strike to Marquez Valdez-Scantling to get the final first down to put the nail in the coffin in that last drive of the fourth quarter. I will give him full credit for that. That was a big-time throw and a good catch by um, Valdez-Scantling. But we're talking in the fourth quarter, 16 plays, 89 yards, zero points, and two punts. So for a guy who everybody is heralding as the greatest quarterback they've ever, ever seen, all of a sudden, that's how they're talking about Mahomes right now. He's the greatest they've ever seen. One dr- His third quarter was 14 plays, 34 yards, 3 punts. His fourth quarter was 16 plays, 89 yards, 2 punts. He didn't score a point in the second half, y'all. He didn't score a point. He couldn't move the ball. He could not move the ball in the second half. What he did was he managed the game. He was a game manager. When Cowherd says Mahomes was great for 12 for 12 quarters, what he really meant to say is Mahomes has not turned the ball over or taken a sack in 12 out of 12 quarters. He's been an expert game manager. Expert game manager. But that does not a greatest quarterback of all time make. You feel me? It doesn't. (laughs) It just doesn't. Against Baltimore, he threw for 241 yards, one touchdown. Against Miami, he completed 56% of his throws, threw for 262 yards, one touchdown. Against Buffalo, he threw for two touchdowns, but only for 215 yards? He's not throwing the ball down the field. I talked about this on the last podcast. All he's done for the last two years, two years, all Mahomes has done, he's won a lot of football games, but all he's done is throw the ball behind the line of scrimmage, he's throwing screen passes at the line of scrimmage, or he's throwing it five yards down the field. And he's letting his guys run. That's literally been the entire offense. For the last two years since Tyreek Hill left. I can't knock it totally because they won the Super Bowl. And this isn't a total criticism of Mahomes. It's a criticism of the way that we evaluate quarterbacks as a collective. It is flawed and it is wrong. And all these things are the same things that I had to listen to them criticize Tom Brady for for 20 years. There are so many examples of it. But what did I say 
in my last piece before the Baltimore game. Talking about the Bills game Mahomes had, Colin Cowherd said it was the rising of a perceived dead champion. Shannon Sharp said it was the best offensive game the Chiefs have had all year. They scored, I think, less than 30 points. Chris Russo called Mahomes the greatest quarterback of all time. Mike Greenberg said Mahomes is the best I've ever seen. But Monty Jones called him Jordan. Mina Kimes said Mahomes is underrated. Nick Wright was dropping banners on his show. And all this for a guy who threw for 215 yards. Are you kidding me? He's thrown for one touchdown in two of the three playoff games. Again, what Mahomes is doing is great because he's figured out how to win the game. He's figured out how to manage the game better than he did before. He's not as reckless as he used to be. He never takes any sacks anymore. And so he's basically eliminated all negative plays. And the positive plays that he's doing are low risk because he's only throwing it six yards down the field. I mean, his, his yards per attempt are under seven for two of the three playoff games this year. So, again, what is it? like? I'm not, I'm not even saying Mahomes isn't capable of throwing it deep. We know he can throw it deep and, and rack up the yards and all that stuff. Like We know he can do that. But all he's doing right now is managing the game. And if that's all he's doing right now, we can't then elevate him above a guy who has seven championships and all the records. Like, how are we... Like, make sense of that. Mahomes' production has come down every single year since his first year when he burst onto the scene. All of a sudden, they got a little tape on him. They gave him a massive contract, which meant they can't pay Tyreek Hill. His weapons got worse. And what do you know? His numbers are coming down. But the praise just keeps going up and up and up. They love to say Tom Brady was carried by his defense. He was carried by the defense the early years. What is Mahomes doing this year? The Chiefs defense ranks near the top of the league in uh, fewest points allowed, in sacks, and in turnovers forced. They're a defense first team. That's what Kansas City is now. Do you hear anybody suggesting that Mahomes is being carried by the defense? No. I'm hearing people complain about Brady not putting up big numbers in the last Patriots Super Bowl against the Rams when they scored 13 points, New England did, and won the game because they held the Rams to three points. And they say, oh, Tom's not great. He only did this and this and this. Tom Brady also has a Super Bowl where he threw for an NFL playoff record 505 yards. His team put up 33 points, and they did not punt the ball once, and they lost that game. So, can we, let's just trade. Let's just swap out the Super Bowls then, if that's the case. Like, if y'all don't want to give Brady for any credit for that Rams game, even though he made his receiver the MVP of the game and he completed the biggest play of the game, which was the long pass to Gronk that he dropped in the triple coverage. If y'all don't want to give him credit for that stuff, it just so happens because Gronk was touched down at the two yard line. But if he's two yards further, it's a touchdown, and he has a touchdown on his resume. But as it stands, he doesn't. So they criticize him for that. If y'all don't want to give Brady credit for that game, well, then give him credit for the Philadelphia game where he threw for an NFL record in passing yards, didn't throw any picks, and lost the game because his defense couldn't stop anybody. They couldn't stop a backup quarterback. How about you give him credit for that? 
I want to point out a guy named Matt Chatham on Twitter, Chatham58. He highlighted the 12 balls completed at or behind the line of scrimmage and 20 balls for five yards or less for a whopping 17 points and zero in the second half that Patrick Mahomes did against the Ravens. And it's just the, and he just points out the hypocrisy. They, this was after the Randy Moss years where he was airing it out. Brady was 50 touchdowns and all this other stuff, record for yards, all this other stuff, like putting up record amount of points on offense. They labeled him a dink and dunk quarterback because of what he was doing with Wes Welker and Edelman and Amendola. And they improperly labeled that with Tom Brady. Where's the labeling for Mahomes? Why are we not labeling him a dink and dunk quarterback? His yards per attempt has come down every single year. He's literally not looking to throw the ball past five yards. If they do it in the Super Bowl, I will be amazed. They have not done it for two years. All of his touchdowns are inside five yards. His game-winning touchdown last year was like a five-yard touchdown to a wide-open Kadarius Toney. And that was after a big punt return. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I don't like... It's just the way in which they position the discussion around Patrick Mahomes. We desperately need consistency on how we judge these quarterbacks. It's clear that if a guy is drafted later and lands in the right spot, he that guy has to move heaven and earth to get credit. And if a guy is drafted higher and lands in the right spot, the bar that is used to accept his greatness is infinitely lower. And to take it a step further, I've heard people like Jamel Hill and Nick Wright say that, you know, well, Mahomes doesn't need seven championships or eight championships to overtake Tom Brady as the GOAT. And I actually agree with that, the the logic behind that. We don't have to play count the rings all the time. So can somebody be better than Michael Jordan if they have fewer than six championships? Yes. Yes, they can. Because... Michael Jordan doesn't have as many as Bill Russell, for example, and we still think he's the best. I thought Tom Brady was better than Joe Montana. Joe Montana was looked upon as the quote-unquote GOAT in the early part of the 2000s. I thought after the 2007 season when the Patriots went undefeated, Brady threw for 5,000 yards and 50 TDs. It was arguably the greatest quarterback season in the history of the league. His team was one fluke drive away from being an undefeated 19-0 and immortalized forever. The luckiest play in NFL history stopped that from happening. But that was what, that's what was on the table. I thought then that Brady cemented himself as the greatest quarterback ever, and that was in 2007, 2008. That was like this time in 2008. I'm like, case closed. He's better than Joe Montana, even if he retires with three rings. So no, I don't believe that... Mahomes or anybody else needs to necessarily have more than seven championships to eclipse Tom Brady. However, what we're not going to do is say that the guy with two rings is already the GOAT. Or if that guy with two rings wins his third next week, and then we say he's the GOAT now. Because you know that if the Chiefs win, you know that the number one talking point on Every show the next morning will be, where does Patrick Mahomes rank all time? And there are already guys who, who after he beat Buffalo last week, before they played the Ravens, that were already saying Mahomes is the best I've ever seen. Ignoring the fact that he's throwing check down after check down. 
ignoring the fact that he walked into a perfect circumstance in Kansas City with a coach who takes his team to the playoffs every year with all pro weapons around him where he had a year to sit on the bench with no pressure on him because he wasn't the number one pick and he got to learn from the consummate professional on Alex Smith and he walked into a great organization and everything was set up for him to succeed. All of that is ignored. All of it. They just hand Mahomes the title of the greatest I've ever seen because he throws some school backyard schoolyard passes like Brett Favre as if we haven't seen that before you know what I mean we know that that's going to be the talking point if the Chiefs win but Jamel Hill and Nick Wright making this argument that you don't need seven rings to eclipse Brady yeah you don't I agree with that but you need more than two hello you need more than three you need more than three you got to have at least five, at least no other quarterback has five besides Brady. You got to have at least five. And I'm not, I'm not count the rings guy. I'm really not, but you cannot tell me that a guy with two championships is better. You can't. I, I refuse to accept that. It's nonsense. We've seen Brady win in every conceivable circumstance with different types of offenses, with different types of defenses. He's taken bad defenses to the Super Bowl. He was winning championships with no name receiving cast, throwing touchdowns to linebackers. He goes into a new conference with a new coach, a new system, knew everything, couldn't even get to know his teammates due to COVID, playing on a torn meniscus, and he goes to the Super Bowl in his first year, and who does he beat? Patrick Mahomes. He beats Mahomes. We've never seen anything like Tom Brady. And they just pretend that it didn't exist, or they're trying to, like, Turn Brady into Bill Russell somehow, as if it was like a hundred years ago, ignoring the fact that Tom Brady did half of his winning in an era where you could still play defense. You can't play defense anymore. They've legislated all of that out of the game, and Mahomes benefits from it. Brady benefited from it too, but only for part of his run. But he was winning championships long before that, when you could still put hands on receivers and hit the quarterback. So no, I'm not going to sit here and accept the idea that you can give the GOAT title to a quarterback with two or three championships. That's bullshit. I'm sorry. That's like if you're in school and you're and you're rounding your grade up. If if I'm if I'm work if I'm a uh, if I'm a student in a class, right? And I need a 70 to get a passing grade and I got a 69.5 in the class, Maybe the teacher bumps me up to a 70 and says, you know what, Mr. Hicks, you, you got a 69.5, but I'm going to give you a 70 so you can pass this class. Okay, that's one thing to round up. But what you're not going to do is if I have a 50% in the class and then round me up to 70 and say, congratulations, Mr. Hicks, on passing the course. You're not going to say that, right? That How ludicrous does that sound? That's basically what we're doing now. We're just going to eliminate, like if Mahomes wins, he has three championships. That means... He has to then win four more to get on par with Brady in terms of championships, which is no other quarterback has won more than four. So he would basically have to like repeat history again just to tie Tom Brady in championships. And again, I want to reiterate, I'm not count the rings guy. That's not who I am. I'm just saying we cannot ignore the success and all the winning that Tom Brady has done to escort this Johnny come lately to GOAT status with his two and a half championships. We can't do that. 
We're not calling the Chiefs a dynasty. If they win Sunday, call them a dynasty. I'm good with that. If they don't win Sunday, I'm not calling them a dynasty. They're an AFC dynasty. Sure. That's about it, though. <laughs> you want to know what Patrick Mahomes' Super Bowl game log looks like? He's 2-1. and one. He has a passer rating of 78.1 in his first game. A passer rating of 52.3 in his second game. The one that everybody loves. And a passer rating of 131.8 in his third game. 131.8 against Philly last year. Sounds impressive. He threw for 182 yards, y'all, on 27 passes. He threw for three touchdowns and no picks. And he had a great run to set up the, you know, the end of the game. But he's basically not throwing the ball at all. He threw for under 200 yards. Okay? Can he have like one Super Bowl where he like throws for 300 and multiple scores and no turnovers before we kiss his ass? Like, why are we crowning this guy? Why are we in a rush to crown him? You know what I'm saying? My good friend of mine, Terry Palmer, friend of the show, accused me of saying like, hey, man, uh, you sound like you're just afraid to give anybody but Brady credit. And it's like, no. I don't have any problem with anybody saying Mahomes is on pace to pass him. That's that's fair. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't think it'll happen. But like, if you just look at the winning and the statistics and the accomplishments, actually take the statistics out of it because the statistics are skewed by the era in which they play. But if you just look at the accomplishments and the accolades that they've accrued in their time in the league, respectively, at that same age or same years of service in the league. Yes, you can say Mahomes is on a pace to catch or pass Tom Brady. I'm okay with that. Here's what I'm not okay with. Assuming that that's going to keep up. Okay? We can acknowledge the pace without assuming it. Okay? We can acknowledge the pace without assuming it. To assume that Patrick Mahomes is going to be at the same level of production for as long as Tom Brady was, that he's not going to have a bunch of debilitating injuries despite being a scrambling quarterback. That Andy Reid, who is an older coach now, is going to want to keep coaching all these years and that there won't be some kind of massive drop-off once he leaves or that there won't be some kind of massive drop-off once Travis Kelsey leaves or that we're just going to assume that they're going to get some other great pass catcher in the draft or via free agency or whatever. That the defense is going to sustain. That the infrastructure around Mahomes isn't going to crumble under the weight of the expectations year after year after year. Why do we have to assume that all that's going to happen over the next 5, 10, 15 years. To me, Patrick Mahomes can never pass Tom Brady. And it's not because Tom Brady beat him twice. It's because we need consistency on how we evaluate these guys. I've said this before. Mahomes should have to check off every single box of criticism that Tom Brady did before we give him that status. I listened to y'all for 20 years tell me that Tom Brady was a system quarterback. He was carried by his coach, carried by his defense, carried by Gronk or Randy Moss or a stacked team, that he benefited from a weak division, a weak conference, and he can't win outside of New England, that he was a dink and dunk quarterback and a yak merchant, that he got off easy on playoff buys, that he was bailed out by his kicker, bailed out by the refs, that he got by on low output games and average stats, that he got lucky and that he was in a pass-happy era with no defense and he was not tough enough. I heard y'all say all of that for the better part of 20 years. 
So if you're going to say that this kid is better than Tom Brady, he better have checked every last one of them boxes. And he hasn't done half of them yet. Because he's done all of his winning with Andy Reid. He's done all of his winning with Travis Kelsey. And now he's doing it with an elite defense, which last I heard was a bad thing. Because when Tom Brady did it, y'all said he was carried. Right? So until he does all that stuff, I'm not trying to hear nah, nah, nothing about no Patrick Mahomes. You naysayers still believe Tom Brady did all this winning by accident. Y'all know what I mean by naysayers. You, you naysayers believe that he did all this winning by accident. And there's one giant coincidence of 23 years of greatness. We assumed Aaron Rodgers was going to win all these titles, and he didn't. Maybe Mahomes wins on Sunday, and if he does, hats off to him. He's got his own dynasty. The Chiefs are the team of the 2010s uh, or the 2020s or whatever. Great. Good for him. Good on him. I've got no issue with none of that. He is already among one of the greatest quarterbacks ever, Mahomes is. Yes, he's in the top 10. I've got no issue with anybody saying that. I think he benefits tremendously from the situation that he fell into. And I believe that, as I said before, Patrick Mahomes is not the best quarterback we've ever seen or the greatest. He is the best quarterback to fall into the best situation we've ever seen. Every franchise in football should be trying to emulate what the Chiefs have done with Patrick Mahomes in terms of having a stable franchise, realizing that they can't get over the hump with the guy they have, taking a big swing on a kid with a lot of upside, and doing everything within their power to get the most out of him. I believe Patrick Mahomes would have a measure of success no matter where he went. But it was absolutely maximized in Kansas City. I believe that if you would have put rookie Deshaun Watson in Kansas City, rookie Josh Allen in Kansas City, rookie Joe Burrow in Kansas City, you would have seen a whole lot of the same success. I believe if you would have put Patrick Mahomes in Jacksonville, if you would have put Patrick Mahomes in, uh, I don't, you know, name a team. If you put him there, the success is not guaranteed. The winning is not guaranteed. It's called the black man is God. So let's just get a little consistency. Let's wait and see what Mahomes actually does. Maybe he has a great game. Maybe he surprises me and has 350 yards and three touchdowns and one turnover, and they win the game. That would be a first for Mahomes to have a Super Bowl like that. Sounds a lot like Brady's second Super Bowl against the Carolina Panthers in 2003. Or early 2004, which nobody credits him for because he got carried to that Super Bowl by his defense, allegedly. It's so absurd the way that we judge Mahomes versus Brady. There's no consistency whatsoever. And everybody's just in a hurry to anoint Patrick Mahomes. And I cannot understand why. And that's where we're going to end this podcast, y'all. I'm taking the 49ers to win. Um... I said, don't be shocked. They win by blowout. I just, I just would not be moved by that if it happened. I'm not predicting it, but I feel like Kansas City should win. But I think the Niners will win, much like I thought last year that the Eagles should win, but Kansas City would win. I'm flipping it around this year on the Chiefs. We'll see what happens. I appreciate y'all listening to the preseason podcast of the year. It's been fun. It's now in the wee hours of February 5th on Monday. That's how long I've been at this thing. About 90 minutes, so I appreciate y'all sticking with us. It's the preseason podcast of the year. We'll be back at y'all soon. Holler at us and let let us know if you think I'm crazy. Am I wrong about my homes? Am I wrong about the Super Bowl? Whatever. I look forward to getting your feedback. And I'm just showing up, y'all. I'm just going to keep showing up. Jay Hicks, we out of here. Peace.